this chapter, Lord, I pray that you would please uh, help me to say the things, Lord, that you would have me to say. Help us to be able to uh, learn from this passage, to get some insight from this passage, Lord. And I pray that you would please give me the words to say, Father, uh, to be able to minister to your people. We love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen. <coughs> We're there in Isaiah chapter 13, and uh, we've been studying through the book of Isaiah on Sunday nights, and tonight we're going to be talking about a very specific uh, time frame in end times prophecy. If you look at verse 1 of the chapter, the Bible says, The burden of Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amos, did see. Now here's what you need to understand, okay? Uh, the Babylonians, the, the actual city of Babylon, uh, you know, what we know historically as Babylon, was going to be used of God to punish the southern kingdom of Judah and take them into captivity. Now, that has not yet happened when Isaiah is talking about it. This is a prophecy that had not yet happened at the life of Isaiah, but in Scripture we saw that it did happen. I'm not going to have you turn there. For those of you that are taking notes and you like to uh, jot things down, um, you find this fulfilled prophecy in Daniel chapter 5, specifically the, the end of the chapter there. When, um, when, the, when Babylon falls to the Medes and the Persians. So you need to understand that Isaiah is actually prophesying about this nation Babylon, and, nation is, and Babylon is going to be used uh, to come and, and uh, capture the southern kingdom of, of Judah. But then later on, that nation was going to be overtaken by the Medes and the Persians. Uh, skip down to verse number 17, there Isaiah 13, and notice that he calls them by name, Isaiah 13. 1317 says, Behold, I will stir up the meat against them, which shall not regard silver, and as for gold, they shall not delight in it. Now you need to understand, this is a historical fact. The Medes and the Persians overtook and, um, the, the Babylonian Empire, and Isaiah prophesied of, of it, you know, decades before it happened. But, at the same time, you need to understand this about biblical prophecy. Sometimes, in biblical prophecy, the prophet is prophesying about something that's going to happen in the, in the future, in the not so far away future. You know, for them this was 80, 100 years uh, that the Medes were going to overtake the, the Babylonian Empire. But also, Isaiah begins to prophesy about another Babylon. Because you need to understand this, and we're going to look at it here in a minute, but in the book of Revelation we are told of a city and a religious uh, uh, organization. We are are told of a government that is a uh, has a government but it has a religious entity attached to it and it is called Babylon and Babylon kind of represents that future coming one world government, one world religion of the Antichrist. Now, that Babylon was also and will also one day be destroyed. That Babylon will fall in a battle against God. But here in Isaiah 13, Isaiah is referring about the actual Babylon of his day and how it will fall to the Medes according to verse 17. But then he also begins to prophesy of that future Babylon. That Babylon which is to come. And he begins to tell us about the destruction of the coming uh, kingdom of the Antichrist. And we'll look at that tonight, and I think it will be very clear as we go through it. Look at verse number 2, Isaiah 13 and verse 2. Notice he says, Lift ye up a banner upon a high mountain. Exalt the voice unto them. 
shake the hand, that they may go into the gates of the nobles. Now here, he's, he's talking about, you know, getting a military together. He says, lift ye up the banner. He said, exalt the voice. He said, gather the people. Look at verse 3. Uh, third, uh, I'm sorry, verse 3. I have commanded my sanctified ones. I have also called my mighty ones for my anger, even them that rejoice in my highness. Verse 4. The noise of a multitude in the mountains, like as of a great people, a tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts, notice this word, mustereth the host of the battle. They come from a far country, from the end of heaven, even the Lord and the weapons of His indignation to destroy the whole land. Now, I want you to say, he's describing the fact that there was a, 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 an army that was going to lift up a banner and go against Babylon, the historic Babylon, the Medes and the Persians. But then he begins to talk about that future Babylon. And I want you to notice, look at verse, uh, look at verse 4. Look at the last part of verse 4. He says, The Lord of hosts mustereth. I want you to notice, it is the Lord who is mustering. Okay? And, and that might not be a word that you're familiar with, but that is a military word. The word muster means an assembly of troops for inspection or in preparation for battle. Many of you know that I was in the Air Force for uh, a few years. And I've been out of the Air Force now for about, you know, however long our church is, about four years is the time frame that I've been out of the Air Force. But, you know, even though I'm no longer active duty military, they have me in what's called uh, inactive reserve. And I'm not a reservist in the sense that I go in one week and a month, two weeks a year. But I'm inactive. Basically, I'm still in their kind of role. And if we go to war with China or something, they could call me up to go, you know, work on it air conditioners or whatever it is that they want me to do. But from time to time, I get a paper in the mail that says I have to report to a muster. And what that means is I have to go, and they basically want to know that I'm still alive, and that I'm healthy, and all of those things. And that's kind of a military term that's used even today. And the Bible says here that the Lord of hosts musters. And I want you to say, it's the Lord who's gathering His weapons. Look at verse 5. They come from a far country, from the end of heaven, even the Lord and the weapons of His and it is God who's getting ready to destroy uh, this city of Babylon, this nation of Babylon. And you need to understand that is true both of the destruction of the historic Babylon and the future Babylon. Now you say, well, Pastor, how do you know, or what makes you think that this is more than just the historic Babylon, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, and all those things? What makes you think that it's more than just that? Notice verse 6. In verse 6 he says, How ye... For the, and I want you to make note of this phrase, and you got to remember this phrase, underline it, learn it. The Bible says, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Now you need to understand, that phrase, the day of the Lord, is used all throughout the Bible. All throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he says, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Do you see that? The day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. And the day of the Lord, and we'll see it here in Isaiah 13. I'm not going to really run a lot of passages because there's so much to look at in the text that we're in. And there's just so many verses about the day of the Lord. And we'll, we will look at a few. But you need to understand, the day of the Lord is a reference to the day when God begins to pour out His wrath upon this earth. And I want you to notice in Isaiah 13 that that wrath is poured out on that Babylonian uh, uh, kingdom that is going to come. That uh, King 
kingdom of the Antichrist, and the kingdom of the one world government. But the Bible defines it as a destruction from the Almighty. That is God. This destruction is coming from God. The day of the Lord, in verse 6, is described as a destruction of the Almighty. Skip down to verse number 9. I want you to notice how this day is described throughout the Bible, and specifically throughout this chapter. Look at verse 9. Isaiah 13 and verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord coming. Notice how it's described. Cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger. Do you see that? The day of the Lord is a day when the wrath of God and the fierce anger of God to lay the land desolate, and He shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. Here in verse 9 we see that the day of the Lord is described as coming with wrath and fierce anger. Skip down to verse number 11. Notice verse 11. And I will punish the world for their evil. That's what the day of the Lord is. It's when God pours out His wrath upon this earth for the purpose of punishing the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Look at verse 12. I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore I will shake the heavens and the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. You see that? I was telling us the day, the wrath of the, of the Lord of hosts, it's the day of his fierce anger. It's the day that he will punish the world with evil. It's the day when he begins to destroy this world with indignation. That's how this day is described. Notice verse 7. Go back to verse 7, Isaiah 13. Therefore shall all hands be faint. Make note of this phrase, and every man's heart shall melt. Now keep your finger there in Isaiah 13, and just quickly go with me to the book of Luke in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and we're going to get into the Gospels in a little bit. I don't want to uh, get into it right now, I want to lay a little more foundation before we get into the Gospels. But let me just show you this real quickly. Luke chapter number 21, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 21, if you look at verse number 26, in Luke 21, he is describing this time of end, this end times prophecy in Luke 21 and verse 26 the Bible says verse 20, Luke 21 and verse 26 notice what it says it says men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken do you see that? so the Bible says that men's hearts are failing them for fear they're, they're having heart attacks their hearts are failing because they're so afraid what are they afraid? for they're, they're looking after those things which are coming on the earth they're watching God pour out his wrath upon the earth and notice this don't forget this the the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And that's the same thing that Isaiah is describing. If you go back to Isaiah 13, verse 7, he says, Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. He says their hearts are going to melt. Their hearts are going to faint. Look at verse 8. Isaiah 13 and verse 8. And they shall be afraid. Make note of this phrase. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. Whenever you see men's hearts shall faint, or men's hearts failing them, or men's hearts melting, just keep in mind, usually when you see that idea of the fact that there's going to be 
All throughout the world, people, their hearts going to fail because they're so afraid. Usually that's referring to the day of the wrath of the Lord, the coming destruction of this earth. And whenever you see this phrase, and they shall be afraid, pains and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Whenever you see a reference to a woman in labor, labor and the pains and the sorrows and the travail of that labor... Usually, that's also pointing us back to this time frame of, of end times. Let me give you just one example. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and look at verse number 1. There's many passages we could go to. Uh, I'm just going to show you a few. Sometimes you just have to pick one and use it as a reference, and then you can study the rest out on your own. But notice 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and look at verse number 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 1, the Bible says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the, notice, that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Do you see that? The reference to the day of the Lord? Verse 3, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, notice this, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So we, we need to understand this. Isaiah, yes, he's talking about the fact that the Medes and Daniel 5 are going to uh, take Babylon, that historic Babylon that you read about in, in history books. But he's also talking about this future Babylon, this coming Babylon, when it won't be the Medes, but it will be the Lord himself with his wrath and his indignation coming down on this earth to punish the earth. Men's hearts failing them. Men's hearts shall melt for fear. And it will be like the pains of a so- uh, in sorrow shall take hold of them uh, as a woman that travailed. Go back to Isaiah 13. Look at verse 9. Isaiah 13 and verse 9. Isaiah 13 and verse 9. The Bible says, Behold, the days of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger to lay hold, to, to lay the land desolate and shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. Verse 10. Notice this. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. There's coming a day when the stars are going to stop shining. The sun shall be darkened and is going forth and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. There's going to come a day when the sun will turn dark, when the light will, when the moon will not reflect that light. Verse 11, and I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a man more precious than fine gold and a man uh, that, and a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. Now, a few weeks ago, I don't know if you remember, but a few weeks ago in, in the book of Isaiah, we studied the fact that when Jesus returns to this earth, remember we talked about there would be a great earthquake and that everything stands, remember we studied the fact, and I'm not going to run all the verses, but we studied the fact that the Bible teaches that when Jesus comes back to this earth, that he will shake this earth to the point that every island will be moved and every mountain will be laid flat and anything standing on this earth, every tower, every skyscraper, every fence, any cone on the ground, everything shall bow as Jesus Christ comes to this earth. Do you remember we studied that out? And these are the references that are being made to here. Look at verse 13. Therefore I will shake the heavens. You ever heard of an earthquake so bad that it shakes the heavens? He says, and I will shake the heavens and the earth shall remove out of her place. He's going to literally take the earth and just move it from where it is right now. Just shake it. In the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. I don't know if you remember, but when we went just a few minutes ago to Luke, uh, 
chapter 21 and verse 26, remember it said, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. You remember that? We read that just a few minutes ago. So the Bible is telling us about this day of the wrath of God. When, when God comes down to this earth, this is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and He shakes the heavens, and He shakes the earth, and everything is moved, and everything is flattened, and He comes to the earth, and He begins to pour out His wrath upon the earth. Verse 13 says, Therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place. Notice verse number... Actually, go with me to the book of Joel. Let me give you some cross-references here, for those of you who like to take notes. We're supposed to be studying the Bible, so you can get some cross-references. Some of you can write a book on end-time prophecy. And uh, go to Joel, chapter number 2. You're in Isaiah, so you got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, our big books, Lamentations, small book, Ezekiel, big book, Daniel, Hosea, kind of small books, Joel. Joel, chapter 2, look at verse 10. I just want to show you how this is spoken about throughout Scripture. Joel, chapter 2, and verse 10, the Bible says, The earth shall quake before them. You see that? Joel, chapter 2, and verse 10, the earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark. And the stars shall withdraw their shining. Do you see how Hosea's, I'm sorry, how Joel is describing the same day that Isaiah is describing? And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong and executeth his word. For, notice this, the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Skip down to verse number 30, Joel chapter 2, verse 30. And I will show wonders in heaven and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before. Now, I want you to make note of that word before. Before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. So, what we've described for you from Isaiah 13 is that there is coming a day called the day of the Lord when God will begin to punish this earth for all the evil and wickedness that has been done on it. And he will pour out his wrath. He will shake the earth. It will be a day of indignation and fierce wrath. It will be a terrible day. It will be a very a fearful day when men's hearts will fail them for fear of the things that are coming upon this earth. Go with me to the book of Revelation just real quickly. Revelation chapter 6. And I want to explain to you just kind of the time frame of this end times prophecy. Because a lot of people are confused as to what the Bible teaches about end times. Revelation chapter number 6 should be fairly easy to find. Last book in the New Testament. At Verity Baptist Church, we take a position on end times prophecy that is not taken by many Christians. Today, many Christians take the position of what is called the pre-tribulation rapture. And what they believe is that the rapture will happen pre or before the tribulation. Often, we are accused because we take a post-tribulation rapture position. We believe that the rapture will happen after the tribulation. You may have never heard that before, and I'll just ask, if you've never heard that before, don't cut me off. Just let me show you what the Bible says and make a decision based on the Word of God. But we take a position that the rapture happens after the tribulation. Now, we are often accused, and we are in 
people will say, well then you believe that Christians are going to live through the wrath of God. And they will point at verses like, God has not appointed us to wrath. And they'll say, well, we're not going to live through the wrath. But here's what you need to understand. The tribulation and the wrath of God are two different days. They're two different things. I shouldn't say they're two different days. But they're two different things. In Revelation chapter 6, we find what's known as the tribulation. Let's read it together. Revelation chapter 6, look at verse 1. He says, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. Now, here's what you understand, okay? The book of Revelation, basically at verse number, at chapter number 6 is when you actually begin to deal with end times prophecy. The first, uh, for the first few chapters deal with like an introduction to the book, and um, he's, he's giving messages to the seven churches in Asia. The next two chapters, chapters 4 and 5, give us a view of heaven and the throne of heaven and all of those things. And chapter 6 is when we really begin to get into end times prophecy. And in chapter 6 verse 1 it says, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. Now here's what you understand, okay? The way that the book of Revelation is outlined as far as the tribulation time frame, it is outlined through the six seals. God is actually going to begin to open six seals and those seals are going to represent different things that happen on this earth. Now notice in verse 1 it says, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of the thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. So here's your first seal. And he that sat on him had a bow and a crown with uh, and a crown was given unto him and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So he says, you open up seal number one and you've got this guy shows up, he's on a horse, he's on a white horse, he's got a crown, and he's going out to conquer and to conquer. Now, I would love to take the time and reference this back to Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. I'm not going to take the time to do that tonight because uh, that's going to take longer than we than we have the time for tonight. And and uh, in a few weeks, um, in our Wednesday night Bible study, we're studying through the book of Matthew. In, in, in a couple of months probably, we'll be in Matthew 24 and we will take the time to detail Matthew 24 and compare it back to Revelation chapter 6. So I'm not going to take the time to do that tonight. But you need to understand this. The first seals of and this guy shows up on a white horse and he begins to conquer and to conquer. This matches up with Jesus' prophecy in Matthew 24. And uh, when, when, when the disciples ask Jesus about the end times and he tells them that Antichrist will come. Because this guy is basically the Antichrist. He is a guy on a white horse pretending to be Jesus, going around conquering and to conquer, like verse 3. And when he had opened the second seal, so here's your second seal. I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse. Okay, so you got the second seal. You got another horse, a horse that was red. And power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. So, you got the first seal, you got a guy that is trying to be like Jesus, conquering and to conquer. You got the second seal, and all of a sudden, peace is taken from the earth. And they're given a great sword. And they begin to fight. If you match that up again with the Olivet Discourse of Jesus, he begins to tell them that there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, and nations will rise against nation, and all those things. Look at verse 5. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him, had a pair of balances in his hand. The balance is used uh, to measure the weight of things. And I heard a voice in the midst of the, of the four beasts saying, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the old in one. So you got the third seal open and now you got a man on a horse and he's weighing a measure of wheat. A measure of wheat's like a, a, a bag of flour. 
says, I'm going to sell you this bag of flour for a penny. Now, for those of you that were in church on Wednesday night, I'm going to see if you guys retain any information. Do you remember how much a penny was in the days of the Bible? It was a day's wages, right? Does anybody remember that? Brother Vincent, do you remember that? Okay, good. Somebody, I'm just making sure you guys are learning. So a penny's not like our penny with Abraham Lincoln, right? A penny was a day. Could you imagine working an entire day and then just making enough money to buy one bag of flour? You say, well, why is it so expensive? Because there's a famine. Obviously, when there's a famine, the cost of money goes up, which goes perfectly with what Jesus said, that there would be famines when he's describing the Olivet Discourse. Look at verse uh, 6. And I heard the voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou heard not the oil and wine. Verse 7. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth, to kill with sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. And when he had opened the fifth seal, so you got... You know, lots of people die in verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony uh, which they held. So you got the, 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 the seal, the fifth seal opens there in verse 9. And what happens? You get all these people in heaven. Notice verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony uh, which they held. Why were they slain? Why were they killed? They were killed for the word of God and for their testimony. You say, what is this? This is what's known as the great tribulation. When the Antichrist begins to persecute Christians, when he forces people to take the mark of the beast, and when they don't take the mark of the beast, they refuse to take the mark of the beast, he chops their heads off. This is all throughout the Bible. It's throughout the book of Revelation. Christians Christians begin to be persecuted. Now let me ask you a question. Is Christians going through persecution the same as God destroying the earth? The answer is no. <laughs> For those of you that don't know. Is Christians... Because is, is, you, you understand this. We live in America today and we're spoiled, but do you know that there's Christians going through persecution right now? There are people in, in this world today who are being killed because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. You know that there are parts of this earth that have famines in them right now? Do you know that there are parts of this earth that have wars and rumors of wars right now? Do you know? See, here's what you got to understand about the tribulation. It's all things that are already happening, just like the labor of a woman, though. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Do you understand that? A woman starts to go through labor, and you start having these contractions, and they hurt a little bit. But the closer you get to the birth of that child, the harder and more violent those... Uh, pains are. That's what the tribulation is. It's nothing supernatural. It's things that have always happened. People have always been persecuted. People have always been uh, 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 in wars. There's always been famines. There's always been all these things. But as we get closer to the day of Christ, as we get closer to the day of the Lord, as we get closer to the rapture, they're just getting worse and worse and worse. And they, uh, and, and they kind of uh, max out at this worldwide persecution of believers. Now notice verse 10. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And the white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest for yet for a little season, until their fellow servants and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And notice verse 12, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal. So here's the, the last of the seals. And lo, there was a great earthquake. Does that sound familiar? And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Does that sound familiar? And the stars of heaven fell unto
to the earth, even as a fig tree cast to their untimely figs, and she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heavens departed, hey, this was good from our, uh, it is well with my soul. And the heavens departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Why are the mountains and the islands being moved? Because God begins to shake this earth and the heavens. Notice. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens, and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the, notice, and from the wrath of the Lamb. You see that? Okay, what's being described there? Men's hearts failing them for fear. They are scared to death at what's going on. Now notice, notice, notice verse 17. For the great day of His wrath, you see this? For the great day of His wrath has come. Is that what it says? What does it say? For the great day of His wrath, let's read it together, is come. You see that? And who shall be able to stand? Okay, is is present tense. So let me ask you this. When did the wrath of God begin to get poured, begin in the book of Revelation? When the sixth seal was open. So when seal number one was open, was that considered the wrath of God according to the Bible? No. When the second seal was open, was that considered the wrath of God? No. When the third seal was... You said, but the Antichrist came, there was famines, there was wars, there was people dying, there, there was persecution. Yeah, but that's all going on right now. So when did the wrath of God begin? When that sixth seal was open, supernatural things began to happen. See, we have famines today, we have wars today, we have rumors of war, we have earthquakes today, but you know what we don't have today? The sun turning into black, you know, becoming black as cyclops, and the moon turning into blood. That's not something that, I know that you, you, well, we have the blood ones, whatever. Look, there's coming a day when God's going to shake this earth, the heavens and the earth, that is not happening. I know John Hades says what. There's coming a day when the wrath of God is going to be poured out on this earth like it never has. Now, here's what's interesting, okay? You say, well, if you believe that, then you believe that the wrath of God is going to be poured out on Christians. Well, hold on a second, because notice, God begins the process of coming down to this earth. Let's read verse 16 again. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the land. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to say, The wrath of God is coming. And then we begin chapter 7, and it's almost like God says, Time out. Wait a minute. Now notice verse 7. Chapter 7, verse 1. You've got to understand this about the Bible, okay? The chapter divisions and the verse divisions were added after the Word of God. When John wrote the book of Revelation, he did not divide the Bible into chapters. The context is that verse 1 of chapter 7 is in context with verse 17 of chapter 6. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not against the Bible, you know, chapters and references. I think they're good. We need them to be able to find things. But, but that's not how this book was written. What I'm trying to get you to understand is, chapter 7 and verse 1 is a continuation of what was happening in chapter 6. So notice what happened in chapter 7 verse 1. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another say, another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given, notice, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. So, now these angels are going to begin to hurt the earth. They're going to begin to hurt the sea. The wrath of God is come after uh, seal number six begins to, you know, this process 
process of the wrath of God. Before that, that was not the wrath of God. The Antichrist, the one world government, the Babylon, all that was not the wrath of God. Here's the wrath of God when the angels are getting ready to begin. Notice, to hurt the earth and the sea. But notice, notice what happens though. Look at verse 2. Revelation 7, 2. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Notice, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees. He says, look, I know you guys are here to hurt the earth, to punish the earth, to destroy the earth. But time out for a second. Because before you begin to hurt the earth, and before you begin to hurt the sea, and before you begin to hurt the trees, notice, don't do that till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. He says, don't hurt the earth till we've sealed the servants of our God. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. I don't have time to get to the 144,000. We'll deal with that another time. Skip down to verse 9. Here's the bottom line. Chapter 7, chapter 14 of Revelation teaches us about the, 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 the 144,000. And here's what it teaches us. There are 144,000, 12,000 of every tribe of Israel. They're males and they're virgins. They're not your Jehovah's Witness friend. I'm sorry to tell you that. Look at verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, now notice, notice, he says, he says, you're going to begin to hurt the earth, he, and he says, but, but here's what you understand, and for those of you that have some Jehovah's Witnesses background, let me just help you out a little bit, the Bible teaches that the 144,000 come to earth, I know that Jehovah's Witnesses teach the 144,000 go up and we stay on earth, that's the opposite of what the Bible teaches, the Bible teaches the 144,000 come to earth, and the rest of the Christians go up. Now, why? Why did they seal the 144,000? According to Revelation 7. They sealed them so that they would not be hurt when the the wrath of God gets poured out. But notice what else happens before the wrath of God gets poured out. Verse 9. After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number. And there are some multitudes that are very numerous numbered in Scripture. But this is a multitude that no man could number. For all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, from every race, from every nation, from every place on this earth, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Now let me ask you a question. When there is a day, there is a day when in the throne of, the, of heaven, all of a sudden, there will appear a multitude, which no man can number, from every kindred and people and tongue, standing before the throne. They weren't there in verse 8. They weren't there in chapter 6. But in verse 9, all of a sudden, a multitude, which no man can number, from every kindred and tongue and people from all over the world, shows up in heaven. What do you and I call that? The rapture. That's the only rapture that you can find in the book of Revelation. It's the only time that so many people are taken from this earth and appear in heaven. Now notice, after this I beheld the low, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders, and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might, be unto uh, our God forever and ever. Amen. And 
one of the elders answered, saying unto me. So, keep in mind, this is John writing the book of Revelation. So one of the elders turns to John, and he asks him this question. He says, and one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these that are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? Here's what they're saying. Here's what he's asking. Who are these people, and where did they come from? Now notice verse 14. John says, and I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. He says, you know where they came from. And he said to me, these are they which came out of great, what? Tribulation. Well, no, the Christians don't go through tribulation. Well, if the Bible says that when a multitude shows up in heaven, they came out of great tribulation. And I've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night and temple. And he sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Now here's what I want you to understand, okay? We read chapter 6, right? We read those seals. None of that was supernatural. There are men that are going forth, conquering and to conquer even today. There are famines even today. There are wars and rumors of wars even today. There are issues in this earth. There, there are Christians being persecuted even today. None of that was supernatural. It's just getting worse and worse like a woman in travail the closer we get to God. But when the sixth seal was open, now supernatural big things began to happen. The sun was darkened, the moon turned to blood, the, sky, the stars in the heaven uh, quit shining, the heavens were shaken, the earth was shaken, every island, every mountain was moved, and then a whole multitude out of earth disappeared. 144,000 showed up, this is all chapter 7, and then in chapter 8, notice, and when he had opened the seventh seal, so here you got your last seal. Because remember, the end of chapter 6, we opened the 6th seal. So now we got the 7th seal. When he had opened the 7th seal, there was a silence in heaven about the space of, make note of this, half an hour. So how much time goes from the 6th to the 7th seal to what happens in verse 10? I'm sorry, verse 2. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Okay, do you see that? We go from the seven, they opened the seventh seal, and now they have seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came in the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer, and filled it with fire, the altar, and cast it into the earth. Notice, things are going from heaven to earth. There is fire going from heaven to earth. And there was voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded. Notice, now now we're sounding trumpets. Okay, the seals were what? Conquering, wars, famines, persecution. All things that are going on right now. None of that is supernatural. It's just getting worse and worse. Then you open the seventh seal, and when you open the seventh seal, now you got seven trumpets. Now they're going to begin to pour out the seven trumpets. And what happens when they pour out the se- when they begin to blow the seven trumpets? This is also the seven vials uh, later on in the book of Revelation. But look at verse seven. And the first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. Now look. Now we begin to see supernatural destruction. Do you see that? There's hail mingled with fire. 
and it, it, it was blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees was burnt up, and all green grass was burnt, and the second angel sounded, you got your second trumpet, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood, and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had uh, life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed, and the third angel sounded, you got your third trumpet, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were, a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers, and upon the fountains of waters, on and on. I'm not going to continue reading it, but the point is this. Do you notice how when the trumpets begin to sound, now there are things coming from heaven to destroy the earth. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. In Revelation chapter 6, you have what's known as the tribulation. If you study the word tribulation all throughout the Bible, you will find that it is consistently, always, most of the time, a reference to believers going through persecution. Things that are happening right now. Natural things like earthquakes, famines, wars, persecution. At the end of chapter 6, we have a seal open, and it is announced that the wrath of God is now going to be poured out on this earth. And in chapter 8, we begin to see that wrath poured out, represented by the trumpets. We have things coming from heaven to destroy the earth. But between chapter 8 and chapter 6, you have chapter 7, where you have a great multitude that's removed from the earth, and they show up in heaven, and, you, and, they, and the question is asked, whence came they? And they said, these are they that came out of great tribulation. Here's the point. People say, well, if you believe that the tribulation, that the rapture happens after the tribulation, then you believe that Christians go through the wrath of God. No, we don't. We just, we, just give, we just allow the Bible to define itself. We don't allow commentaries to define Bible terms. We don't allow people's writings to define Bible terms. We allow the Bible to define itself. And the Bible teaches that the tribulation and the wrath of God are two different things. And Christians will go through the tribulation because we will go through persecution and we will go through hard times in this earth. But when God begins to pour out His wrath, when the day of the Lord begins to happen and God begins to destroy this earth, He will be sure, before He begins in chapter 8, He will be sure to remove us in chapter 7. That's what the Bible teaches. Go to Matthew chapter 24. we got to finish this up. Matthew 24, let me just show you this real quickly. Did you, do you remember how it said that between Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1, it said that between that last seal and, be, and the trumpets, a half hour went by? I want you to understand this. Another thing that people, that people are taught by the pre-tribulation rapture is they're taught that the rapture happens, then you have this seven-year period, then you have uh, the, wrath, you know, the wrath of God or the coming down of Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice what the Bible teaches in regards to that. But Matthew 24, this is what's known as the Olive Discourse. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we'll be in it in, in a couple months on Wednesday night. But let me just uh, show this to you. Matthew 24, verse 21. Notice what the Bible calls it. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor Nowhere shall be. Skip down to verse 29. I don't have time to deal with it, but I want you to see this. Matthew 24, 29. Immediately, so Matthew 24, 21 says that there's great tribulation. Matthew 24, 29 says, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now, I look, I, I, I'm not a theologian and I'm not, you know, whatever, but I, I know this. After means after. <laughs> so, well, if you study that in the Greek, here's what it means in the Greek after. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, does this sound familiar? Shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken? That sounds like the sixth seal of Revelation chapter 6, doesn't it? 
And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels, does this sound to you like the rapture a little bit? And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Doesn't that sound like what happened in chapter 7 of Revelation, when the elect were taken out of this earth? And you say, well, the elect are, are Israel... I don't have nothing to do with that. Here's the point. Study the word elect in the Bible and tell me that it's Israel. The elect is always believers. Now, that can be Israelites, but it's not the nation of Israel. I don't have time to go there. Uh, you know, you, if you have questions about that, ask me after the service and I'll point you to some sermons. Look at verse 37. I just want you to see this real quickly and we'll be done. Matthew 24, verse 37. Jesus begins to give us an example of this. He says, But as the days of Noah were, but as the days of Noah were, remember this is Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So the coming of the Son of Man is going to be like the days of Noah. Everybody's familiar with the story of Noah. Remember, he built the ark, rained for 40 days, 40 nights, God flooded the earth. Look at verse 38, Matthew 24, 38. For as, it, for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. But until, make note of this word, or this phrase, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. The Bible teaches that when Jesus comes to his earth, it's going to be like the days of Noah. They were marrying, they were given in marriage, they were uh, partying, they were just going through their days, they were eating, they were drinking. But the day, the day that Noah entered into the ark, that day is the same day that the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Go to Luke chapter 17. We'll see it again. Luke 17. Keep it written in Matthew 24 because we're going to come back to it. But go to Luke 17. We got to do this quickly because we're running out of time. We're going to go into overtime. Luke 17, verse 26. Luke 17, verse 26. You say, Pastor, what happens if you go into overtime? Well, what happens when you go into overtime? You get paid more. We have to take a second offering. It gets complicated. So let's just do it. Luke 17. I'm just kidding. Luke 17. Look at verse 26. I don't get paid overtime. Luke 17, 26. Are you there? Look what it says. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Luke 17, 26. And as it was in the days of knowing, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat. They drank. They married wives. They were given in marriage until the day. That Noah entered into the ark. The day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all, and he says, likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot. You remember the story of Lot? He went into Sodom, God destroyed them. Notice, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built her, but the same day. That law went out of Sodom. Remember, God sent angels into Sodom to bring the believers out of Sodom before he destroyed Sodom. That's a picture of the rapture. But the same day that law went out of Sodom, verse 29, it rained fire brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And God says, just like it was in the days of, of Lot, when Lot was living in the world, God got fed up with the world, God wanted to destroy the world, but he sent angels into Sodom, which represents the world, to bring Lot out, who represents backward and believer, but he's a believer either way, and then God destroys the earth, Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, that's exactly how it's going to be in the day of the coming of the Lord. God's going to destroy the earth, but before he does that, his angels are going to come into Sodom and remove the believers out so he can destroy the earth. This is what's known as the wrath of God and second coming of Jesus Christ. Verse 42 says, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour the Lord doth come. Go back to, I'm sorry, I'm reading to you from the back. Go back to Matthew 24. 
We're going to look at Matthew 24. We're going to go back to uh, Revelation 13. I'm sorry, Isaiah 13, and then Revelation 18, and we'll be done. Okay, Matthew 24. Look what it says. Matthew 24. Then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken, and the other left. What does that sound like to you? Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Okay, let's just go back Go back to Isaiah 13. And if you can find Revelation 18, I want to just show you two things and then we'll, we'll be done. Revelation 13 and then Revelation 18. Uh, Isaiah 13, Revelation 18. That's what I meant to say. Isaiah 13, Revelation 18. And I want you to notice this. Isaiah 13, Revelation 18. Isaiah 13, verse 19, the Bible says this. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees, excellency, shall be as when God overthrew, did we just read this? Sodom and Gomorrah. And it shall, notice this, never be inhabited. Now you understand this, okay? Isaiah was talking about the historic Babylon that the Medes were going to take over. But you can understand this. This is not just talking about that Babylon, because that Babylon survived. In fact, there are people living in that land right now. But in verse 20 says, And it shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation, neither shall the Arabian pitch tent there, neither shall the shepherd make their fort there. Now there are Arabians pitching tents in Babylon right now, what we know as Iraq or that Mesopotamian area. The Euphrates River, the Tigris River. God said that there's coming a day when he's going to destroy Babylon to a way when no one will live there. It shall never be inhabited. Neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. Neither shall the Arabian pitch tent. Neither shall the shepherds make their fold there. Look verse 21. But the wild beasts of the desert shall lie there. And their houses shall be full of doleful creatures. And owls shall dwell there. And satyrs shall dance there. And the wild beasts of the island shall cry in their desolate houses. And dragons in their pleasant places. And her time is near to come. And her days shall not be for long. Now let me show you. One more thing about this Babylon. Go to Revelation 18 verse 21. And we'll be done. Revelation 18 verse 21. Revelation 18, verse 21. Pastor, we're looking at too many references. I thought that's why you came. To study the Bible. Look, it'd be easier for me to get up here and give you a little ditty that I came up with. I could tell you a story about something that's not in the Bible. Or we could study the Word of God. Revelation 18, look at verse 21. Revelation 18, 21. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying... Thus with violence shall the great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found, notice, no more at all. See, you've got to understand this, and I just want you to understand what the Bible teaches. Revelation 6, we have the great tribulation. This is a time when there will be famines, there will be people dying, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, there's going to be persecution of believers, the Antichrist will unite the world during the time of tribulation under a one world government and a one world religion known as Babylon. You can study more about that in the book of Revelation. And there's going to be a horrible time for believers. They will be persecuted. They will die. And then in chapter 8, we have the pouring out of the wrath of God which is pictured by trumpets when God begins to destroy the earth and punish the earth for its wickedness and its sin, which is what Isaiah 13 is about. But before Revelation 8, and after the tribulation, Revelation 6, you have Revelation chapter 7, that tells us that there's a group of 144,000 that comes down, and there's a group that's innumerable that goes up, and that's what we know as the rapture. Tribulation the rapture, 
the wrath of God. That is what's found in Matthew 24. That's what's found in Luke 21. That's what's found in Mark 13. That's what's found throughout both sections of Revelation, the first part and the second part. That's what's all throughout Scripture. Now you say, well, Pastor, what you're preaching right now is not what most Christians believe. But here's the thing. Most Christians don't have enough, don't have any Bible to prove this proof, what we just went through. They'll say, what's after the, it's before the tribulation. Can you prove that to me? Well, I don't know, you know, it's in there somewhere. You have to decide, what do you believe? And I, you know, you say, well, Pastor, you gave us a lot, I don't know that I can take all that in. I'm, I'm not asking you to take it all in, and here's the thing, I'm not asking you to take my word for it, but here's what I am asking you to do, study to show thyself approved of the God. And you study the Bible and you figure out what it says. And we have resources to help you. Of course, we've got the film. If anybody's not watched this, after the tribulations, the film that goes through and explains a lot of all this in a you know in a documentary type form. But here's what we can take away from this. Oftentimes, people say this: like, how can you serve a God that allows all these wicked things to happen? But you gotta understand this: God is not just gonna allow this world to do all the wickedness that happens in this world and not judge this earth. There is coming a judgment for all the children that have been aborted, for all the wickedness that has happened in this world, for all the sin. There is coming a day when God will judge this earth, and it's known as the day of the Lord. But here's the beautiful thing about that. Believers will not have to go through the wrath of God. God will, God has not appointed us to wrath. God will remove us from this earth. But, but, we will go through the tribulation. Better get ready. You better get ready for persecution. You better be strengthen your inner man. You better begin to get serious about the things of God. Because in our lifetime, there may be a time when we will have to deal with persecution for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for allowing us to be able to study another chapter in your Bible. And Lord, I know we went to a lot of passages and we might have gone quickly and there's a lot to go through. But Father, I pray that you would help us to study, to show ourselves approved, to be able to understand the scripture. I'm not pretending and I'm not uh, up here trying to say that I understand everything about end times prophecy because I don't. And nobody does. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be able to put some of these things together and to, uh, give us, to take the revelation that you've given us and be able to compare spiritual things with spiritual things and see what it is that you're teaching and referring to when it comes to the scriptures. Father, we, we love you. We thank you. Even though we will have to go through time of tribulation, we're thankful that you have already conquered and you've already been victorious. And, and we will have tribulation, but you have already overcame that. And Lord, I... I praise your name, and I thank you for salvation. I thank you that you uh, will, not, will be with us through tribulation if we uh, go through it in our own personal lives. We will all go through tribulation. If we have to go through the time frame known as the Great Tribulation, you will help us and you will be with us, but you will also remove us from this earth before the great day of the wrath of the Lord. And Father, I thank you for that. I pray that you would allow that to encourage us as we try to win souls for Christ and reach this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen.